Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your promise that you will be with us, that you will abide with us, that you will journey with us, Lord, that you are our Emmanuel, the God who is with us. And so, Father, we can trust in your promise. And Lord, it is my prayer this morning that we will have that sense of hope in our hearts, Lord, when the situation around us is is hard and difficult and challenging. Father, I pray that we will look up to you because we know that we can trust you. We may go through fire, we may go through uh, hell or anything like that, Lord Jesus. We know that you will meet us right where we are. So Father, this morning we ask that through the power of your Spirit, you will meet with us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. So good to see all of you here today. Uh, It's such a great privilege for me to be able to share the message with you this morning and continue. And am I ringing too much, David? Kind of like there's a ringing sound on the on the mic. If you can just uh, please fix that, that would be good. Um, Yeah, to to bring the message this morning and to continue on our series on In the Name. Now we know that many of us are probably kind of like enjoying that, but um, what is wrong with the weather? Like last Thursday, I was about to put away all my winter clothes and then my jacket came back. Raise your hand if you've turned on your electric blanket again. Yeah, there were a few, yeah? What is going on? But you see, well, could be worse. It could be worse. And, you know, we're all sitting here today and just continue to dwell and learn from the Word of God this morning. Now, our theme this month really um, anchors our faith because we're talking about the significance and the truth of Christianity. And you probably found out by now that Christianity is not a religion, or it's not just a religion, but Christianity is about a person. Christianity is about uh, not following a religion, but following a person. So our theme this morning is salvation, and I just want to kind of unpack a little bit about that, because salvation, if you look at the Bible from the beginning to the end, the Old Testament and through to the New Testament, salvation must be the grandest theme of the entire Bible because it embraces, it encompasses the past, the present, and the future. Salvation affects everyone. It is personal, therefore it's very serious. It is national because it affects nation, and it's cosmic because in the end it affects the whole world. That is the importance and the significance of salvation. And the central character of this is the person of Jesus Christ. Now the word salvation really is a translation from the Greek word soter, which is 
meaning savior. This is where theologians uh, uh, kind of like deal on the study and the doctrine of salvation and it's called soteriology as a subject. And in Bible college, there is a specific subject or unit allocated just to study about the doctrine of salvation. It is very important. It is the meta-narrative of the entire scripture. If you look at it and if you really dig deep, what is it? The significance of it in our lives. Now, in a few weeks, we will actually be celebrating Christmas, the birth of Jesus, when salvation humbly and quietly entered our world before the angels sang. It was just very quiet. So kind of salvation just kind of slipped through quietly in the middle of the night in a lowly manger. And very soon we will be celebrating Christmas in just the five weeks where the coming of salvation will be celebrated. Now, a few years ago when we were still living in Melbourne, I remember going to the Meyer windows. It's very popular. Locals and tourists go there every year, and people would line up, and, uh, and, and Meyer would plan one year at least to prepare and put together. They put together a team of how to do it because of all the, the technical aspect of it and the mechanics and everything. And then when they unveil the Meyer windows, people just flock and line up. And I remember there was one time, sorry, this, this year, they've decided that they would go Disney themes and characters. So you'll see your Frozen, your Peter Pan, and you know, Tinkerbell, all these other things, that's, that's the, the feature of the Meyer window this year. Now, I remember a few years back, lining up in this Meyer window to see what's in there, and people would line up, and then at the very end, separate from all the other windows, is the nativity window, and it's the quietest window. And I remember standing, that's beautiful, but I remember standing there with a dad and a six-year-old daughter on his shoulder, and they were also looking at the nativity window, and the daughter said to the dad, Dad, who is that baby? I heard it. Who is that baby? I think it would be fair to say that we have a generation who does not know the real story of Christmas. Because all they know is the commercialism of Christmas. The business aspect of Christmas, Santa, reindeer, and all that. And they miss the whole story and the real story of Christmas. The fact that a six-year-old would say, who is that baby in the nativity scene window? That is the generation that's coming. What a great privilege for us as a church in the city of Perth that we were actually asked by the city council to present the real story of Christmas right at Forest Place in the heart of our city, December 17 and 18, supported by the city council. If there is anything that I would like to ask you to pray and support about, support this event. Come. Last year we had 10 churches represented, 150 participants. The whole city, the whole church came together and presented the story of Christmas. Now our passage this morning is actually part of a larger context beginning in Acts chapter 3 when we talk about salvation. This is the first in instance in our passage where 
uh, Peter and, Je- uh, and John and some of the witnesses of Jesus were basically confronted with the local religious authorities. And what triggered the confrontation was the healing of the lame man who's been lame for, for, since birth and, and he was healed. And, and it really, everybody saw it and the leaders, religious leaders observed it. And not only that, when Peter began to preach, People responded to his message and 5,000 people received his message and accepted the message and they were saved that day. Now that really angered the religious leaders. And so today's reading features the apostles' response at that investigation and interrogation by the religious authorities. So let's read it. Uh, Beginning from verse 5, it says, The next day... The rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. These are nobles in their religious group. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Now, they asked them two questions. They said, by what power or what name did you do this? The healing of the lame man. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. I can just picture Peter with so much intensity. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, maybe pointing a finger to the religious leaders, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you today healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And the key verse in this chapter is found in verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Wow. There is no other name given under heaven by which mankind will be saved. And that is the name of Jesus. You see, this is actually a massive claim given the situation and the, 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 the people present when Peter spoke these words. The religious leaders were there. The crowd who saw the healing of the miracle uh, were there. And so they all heard his declaration in verse 12. He said, there is no salvation under any other name except in the name of Jesus. Don't you think that's a massive claim in front of a crowd of maybe five, 6,000, maybe 10,000, because 5,000 got saved that day? He was basically putting his life on the line. Both Peter and John were thrown into jail by the religious leaders because of their teaching and more and more because people listened and followed and believed their message. They have seen the healing of the lame man before their eyes. Thousands got saved that day. They were not happy. Okay, the religious leaders were not happy. And if you look at Peter from a person who was a bit timid to to claim that he knows Jesus, denied him three times, to have the boldness to actually declare without fear is something. Something happened in the life of Peter. For him to be able to do that, he was able to proclaim the gospel. 
the life, the suffering, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus, no matter the cost, even if there was already threat for them to be thrown into jail. He didn't care at all. So the question that the religious leaders asked Peter and John were this, by what power and by what name did you do all this? Our theme in the name. Last week, Nick was talking about there is power in the name of Jesus. Now, it was obvious and undeniable to everyone present that the healing of this lame man was actually supernatural and it was beyond human power. You know what happened? On the way to the temple, Peter saw the lame man and the lame man was actually expecting for some spare chains. Some coins. He was begging all his life. And so he was expecting something, some money, some coin or something like that. And yet he did not get that. In fact, he received more than just the coins. The biggest question for all of us this morning, I think, that we need to grapple with within ourselves is, is Peter's claim true? Is his claim true? true is Peter's statement reliable how does that sit with you as a Christian in the 21st century is it true is it reliable is it trustworthy now we know that the story of Jesus saturates the entire Bible Old and New Testament but get this one Old Testament scholar by the name of John Barton Payne said that there are 574 verses in the Old Testament that points to describe or refer to the coming of Jesus as Messiah. Jesus fulfilled hundreds of prophecies in his earthly life and ministry. There's around 351 prophecies fulfilled at the birth of Jesus and his ministry. Don't you think this supports and authenticates the truth about God's plan of salvation? If you are doubting about the statement, if you are unsure about what salvation is, here's the proof. Investigate it. Well, you don't have to do it because Bible scholars have already done it. And this is their findings. This authenticates the truth of God's plan for salvation. Let me share with you some stats. In recent studies and statistics, it showed that Christianity is the largest religion in the world, with estimated 2.4 billion followers out of 7.8 billion people. However, the numbers are declining in Europe, in the United States, and Australia. And modern missiologists have agreed that there's been a massive shift of the center of gravity in our time. The center of gravity for Christianity now is in the global south. Have you heard of that term before? The global south? Global south is South America, Asia, and Sub-Saharan Africa. And there were the increasing number of the gospel spread and increase and people becoming followers of Jesus Christ. It's no longer the Christian nation, Western nations, so to speak. In fact, the Western nations, the numbers are declining. And what's increasing is the global south and the time will come. This, this global south will just continue to increase and dominate. And so this 
don't think that the 2.4 billion people is Europe, America, and Australia. No, it is the global south. And I was reflecting about that statistics. And it made me realize Jesus said something along those lines that the first shall be last and the last will be first. The so-called Christian nations, the Western world that used to bring the gospel to the heathens and to the, the primitive nations of the world, they are now in major decline. By 2050, most Christians around the world will live in non-Christian nations, meaning non-Western. This year alone, 2022, 93 million copies of God's word will be printed in comparison to 5 million in the 1900s and 54 million in the year 2000s. Wow. So the question is this. Peter's statement that there's no other salvation other than in the name of Jesus is actually an exclusive claim, isn't it? This is the exclusive nature of Christianity. However, the question is this. If it's not true, it means Christianity is false. If it's not true, billions of people are deceived. If it's not true, Jesus was a lunatic or a liar. Or he is really our savior. There is no plan B for God to reconcile mankind back to himself. And so this morning I want to share with you some important aspects about this salvation that God offers to all of us. The first is this, that God's plan of salvation is motivated by love. Nothing else. God's motivation to reconcile and to save the world back to himself is because of his love for you and me. When God made a covenant promise to Abraham, it was a covenant of love for his people with the plan to restore what was lost in the Garden of Eden. That was God's plan because he loved his people so much. And so in the context of that covenant of love, God demonstrated his love, his faithfulness, his power to his people time and time again. The Israelites were being spared by the angel of death because they sprinkled blood of the lamb on their doorpost, which was a foreshadow of what is to come when the real lamb of God will be slaughtered and his blood will be poured out for the forgiveness of sin so that everyone will receive life and will be spared from death. That was a foreshadow of what is to come. God himself shed the first blood in the Garden of Eden to, to kill an animal so that Adam and Eve will have a skin covering over their shame and their rebellion and their sin. That was a foreshadow of what is to come. Another example of foreshadow of Jesus is the fourth man. Are you familiar with that story with Daniel when they were thrown into the fiery furnace? And the soldiers were like, oh, we only threw in three men, but how come there's four? And I can see that the image and the reflection of the fourth man looked like the Son of God. These are just key examples of the, the demonstration, tangible examples of the demonstration of the love of God for his people. Foreshadow Jesus Christ. 
You know, John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. The motivation of salvation is his deep love for you and me. God loves you and God loves me. Never doubt that. He loves you. But you see, this kind of love is the highest form of love. It is the agape love of God, which is unconditional. And this covenant of love was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the greatest and the most tangible demonstration of God's love for his people because Jesus is the Father's gift of love to you and to me. Amen. So if you notice, one of the final questions of Jesus to Peter when he was reinstated, you know, at the beach, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? He said, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. It basically means that Peter, whatever you do from now on, do it with the motivation of love. Peter, whatever you do from now on, preach the gospel, heal, or whatever it is in my name, do it out of love. And there's a lesson for all of us in that. That if we want people to be saved, if we want to share the gospel to other people, my advice to all of us, myself included, have the motivation of love. You do it because you love your family. You do it because you love your husband. You do it because you love your wife. You do it because you love your children and nothing else. And that's the best legacy you can leave to your children. Don't you think? I was reflecting about this as I was preparing for my message. And I go, that would be so sad if Janelle and I end up in heaven and not our kids. And we don't see them there. And so as parents, my advice to all of you is this. Do whatever you can. Do whatever you can, but do it out of love for your children. Don't give up. Second, God's plan of salvation is a relationship, not a ritual. It is a relationship, not a ritual. Unlike other religions where the way to salvation is to do something, to follow certain rules and practices and traditions. For example, in Hinduism, the way to salvation is to follow the three ways. The way of works the way of knowledge, and the way of devotion. In Islam, for example, the five pillars is, is being taught as mandatory because if they don't do it, they could miss out and they could lose their salvation. And so they have to follow the five pillars of their faith. In Hinduism, the eightfold path you know, right understanding, right thought, speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness. And so that's why they meditate quite a lot. And then right concentration. But you see, on the contrary, the Bible teaches us that we don't have to do all these things and strive because the God that we believe and serve is actually the one that initiated to save us and came down. In God, Jesus, the incarnate, came down to save us. That is different. That is different. We don't have to follow rituals and traditions and practices. All we need is to have that personal relationship with Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches. Why? Because 
He is the way to salvation. And if you look at salvation, it is always in the Bible in the context of you having a relationship with Jesus Christ. When we believe in Him and receive Him as our Lord and Savior, we will have that personal relationship with Him. You know, John 15 verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide or remain in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. What does it mean? It means that if we attach ourselves to the vine, it means that if we have that connection and that relationship with Jesus as the vine and we are the branches, we will live a life that God desires for us. A life that is productive, a life that is fruitful. But not only that, God himself is a God of relationship. The Father, Son, Spirit, one God, three distinct person, is a divine reflection of relationship. And that's what God desires for all of us, that we will have relationship with Him. Amen. And you can have that relationship with God right here, right now, if you believe and receive Him. Now, never for a moment think that just because you attend church, you have a relationship with Jesus. Just because your sister, your brother, your parents come to church and are followers of Jesus doesn't mean that you have a relationship with Jesus. There is no such thing as salvation by default. There is no such thing as salvation by affinity. Oh, my parents are strong Christians and strong believers. They're saved. I must be saved too. It doesn't work like that. Because salvation is a personal, individual relationship with the Savior. Now I remember when I was eight years old in Sunday school, when I first made that personal commitment to have a relationship with Jesus at such a very young age, at eight, can you imagine? And let me tell you, Right now, as we sit here, MPK is actually learning the helmet of salvation. And in the team uh, prayer time, uh, we prayed that somehow, in that moment, these young lives will receive salvation in Jesus. Because God wants to have a relationship with us. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When the disciples ask, Lord, show us the way. Which way to heaven? Which way to God? Which way to the Father? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The third is this. God's plan of salvation is a gift that is available to all. No matter what race, no matter what nationality, no matter what economic status you have, it is a gift that is available to all. Ephesians says that, that it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In other words, I don't care what your economic situation is. I don't care what your bank balance is. When we stand before the Lord, we stand on equal ground. Amen? We stand on equal ground, and we stand because of the grace of God. And it is a gift from God. You cannot work for it. You cannot earn it. You only need to receive it. That is the beauty. And so this lame man, going back to that story, begging at the temple gates, was waiting and hoping for money. And yet Peter did not have anything. And so, you know what they said? They offered a much better deal. They said, silver and gold we do not have. But what we have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And this lame man walked. Yes. 
if he settled for the spare coins, if he settled for the spare chains, which he always does every day before this encounter, he would have missed his breakthrough and his miracle. And you know, sometimes the question that we need to ask ourselves is this. Are you settling for spare chains? Are you settling for coins? Or are you settling for something that is more than just coins? It is a gift. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. It is given to you freely. You don't deserve it. It is a gift. Now I have here a gift. It's early Christmas. You probably know what this is, yeah? Like the shade. Is there anyone here that celebrated their birthday this week? You. Oh, Patricia, come here. Come on, run down. Let's give her a big hand. When was your birthday? Eighteenth, which was Friday. Yes. Mine was Thursday, the seventeenth. Wow! Now I have a gift for you. Oh, thank you so much. What should you do to get it? You just look at it. No, I just want to say um, thank you, Lord. What, what, what should you do to receive it? Take it. Take it. Receive it. I receive it in Jesus. If you just look at it, can you get it? No. If you just look at it, can you get it? No. You have to. Do you deserve it? You deserve it. You see, the thing is this. When I say that salvation is a gift that is available to all, meaning that the death of Jesus is available for all people to receive and access. But if you just look at it, if you just think about it, if you just hear it, and you don't do anything about it, you cannot receive it. He's already offered it to all of us. That is the beauty of God's gift. Fourth, God's plan of salvation is finished and complete in Jesus Christ. It is a done deal. It is finished and it is complete. Jesus said, it is finished. He did not say, I am finished. He didn't say, I may be finished. Just give me a few more minutes, soldiers. I'll be finished soon. He didn't say that. He said, it is finished. Why did Jesus yell out to the crowd? You know what? I did a bit of reading about this, and scholars have said that Jesus wanted to make a public, loud declaration to everyone present who heard it. He was telling the world, basically, the work that the Father has sent him to do and to accomplish was finished. The massive task of bringing salvation to the world was completed in his work on the cross. No one can add to it. You cannot add anything to it. His death on the cross was accomplished, uh, something in your life and in my life, and it is complete. There is nothing that you can add and contribute. It is not a 50-50 deal. Or oh, 50% you, 50% Jesus equals 100. No, it is fully 100% Jesus' accomplishment on the cross. He said, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to completely finish the work. In other words, our salvation has been done. It is a done deal because of what Jesus accomplished at the cross. Are you prepared to receive it? 
Are you prepared to die for it? You know, millions of people around the world are being persecuted and killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And I uh, came across this quote from Open Doors, and it said, You will never understand that Jesus is all you need until you know that Jesus is all you have. Wow. Finally, God's plan of salvation is sealed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, Acts 1 verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. You will receive power. In other words, the moment that you make a decision to receive the gift, to receive the gift of salvation, the Holy Spirit of God will come upon you and dwell with you and live in you and empower you and seal this. That is the importance of it. He sealed it by the Holy Spirit. You know, when this happened to Peter, he was uh, anointed by the Holy Spirit. He kind of gathered this new sense of courage and boldness. And so his boldness to preach and to confront the authorities and answer them was not really dependent on the volume of his courage, but it is by the empowering of the Holy Spirit within him. Our salvation is kept and sealed by the Holy Spirit. So when we journey and we follow God and we obey God, we know that the Holy Spirit lives in us. Tozer said, the Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for His people. In other words, when you surrender your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit will come and dwell in you and empower you. Amen? Amen? Wow. That is the beauty of God's plan of salvation. It is motivated by love. It is a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ, not a ritual. It is a gift available to all of us. We don't need to work for it. We don't need to earn it. It is finished and complete in Christ and sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. I'd like to ask you to please bow your heads and just eyes closed. And I want to give you the opportunity this morning. As I was reflecting on this message, I just felt the Lord saying to me, Jonathan, you would be doing a disservice to your topic if you don't give people the opportunity to receive the gift of salvation. And that was quite strong, actually. And I truly believe that salvation will come to some of us this morning. So if you're a believer, pray that the Spirit of God will move in the hearts of people. And I'd like to give you this invitation. If you know within your heart of hearts that you have not actually made that personal commitment to fully surrender your life to the Lord and make Him Lord and Savior of your life. I want to give you that opportunity this morning because God loves you so much that He was willing to send His Son to die for you to demonstrate how much He loves you. And so this morning in the quietness of this room, I'd like to encourage you to listen To the prompting and the tugging of the Holy Spirit in your life. That would be a disaster if you've been coming for the last six months 
two years, ten years into this building and into this room and heard the message, but actually have not fully surrendered your life to the Lord. And I want to give you that opportunity this morning. So if you're that person, where you are seated, I don't want to embarrass you, this is a safe place. Just raise your hand and say, Jonathan, that's me. And this morning, I want to make the most important decision of my life. To surrender my life to Jesus. If that's you this morning, raise your hand. Everyone head bowed, eyes closed. Raise your hand and say, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. There's two. Thank you. Anyone else? Is there anyone else? And say, that's me. That's me. From here on, I want to I wanna, uh, make that important decision in my life. I want to surrender my life to the Lord. I want to give my life to the Lord. Trust Him fully. Is that you? Anyone else this morning? Thank you, Lord. Those two people that raised their hand, I want you to quietly in your heart, sincerely repeat this prayer after me. And people of God, pray with me. Pray with me if you've raised your hand. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your life. And this morning, I want to confess my sin. Repent of my sin before you. And ask the Holy Spirit and invite you to come into my life. And I want to surrender my life to you fully. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Another thing that I want to do this morning is this. If you have a family member who don't know Jesus yet, and it's been a burden in your heart for years, every head bowed, eyes closed, if that's you, just raise your hand and say, you know what, I want to pray a specific person this morning. Thank you. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. I want to say a prayer of salvation for your family, for your loved ones, for your friends in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for every hand raised. Thank you, Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord God, that you will cause and birth in our hearts, Lord, just this fresh prompting of your work and your Holy Spirit in our lives. And I want to pray, Lord God, for all the loved ones represented with these hands raised this morning who don't not know you yet, Father, who have not fully surrendered their life to you, who have not fully believed in you. Father, in the name of Jesus, right here, right now, may your Holy Spirit reach out to them that only you can do. And I pray, Lord God, that you will use each of these persons, Lord, each of these people, Lord God, to be bold, to proclaim, not to Bible bash, but to proclaim out of love, to show and to demonstrate out of love the beauty and the wonder of having a personal relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you will bring an end to some of this longing and the waiting, some of them years and years they have prayed. Oh, God, I pray that you will answer our prayers, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much.
as we proceed into a time of communion, I'd like to encourage you to prepare your uh, communion elements with the bread and the cup. I know it takes time to open and flip, but I just want to remind all of us that this is a very important covenant and sacri sacrament that Jesus left for all his followers to do. And it's from that moment after the Passover, after they've had the meal, Jesus took the bread and showed it to his disciples. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it in remembrance of me. And so as we eat the bread this morning, I pray that we would remember the life and the sacrifice of Jesus. Amen. Let's eat together. In the same way, he took the cup. After he had given thanks, he raised and he said, this is the cup of my blood, the cup of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Drink it in remembrance of me. So every time we partake of the bread and drink of the cup, we remember his life, his death, and his resurrection. Let's drink together. Let's pray. Oh, loving Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your love for us. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to save us and to die on our behalf. And Lord, I pray that each time we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, that we would be reminded afresh once again the significance of it and what that means to us and to the people around us. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.